welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Moving Beyond the Flames edition. It is Friday, May 27th, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the Journal's opinion page editor. I am joined in the newsroom studio today by a smaller but hearty group, provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Good morning. And health reporter Keith Durine, who I also need to describe as kind of a provincial affairs multi-tool. He covers a range of issues on the provincial affairs. I am the biggest tool in the newsroom. Thank you very much, Sarah. (laughs) Paula is off today, which dramatically decreases the chance that we will break into musical theater. Uh, Although I hear that Graham does a very good Phantom of the Opera. It's lovely. Yeah, so uh, maybe maybe you'll... I do the mime edition. (laughs) (laughs) But a shout out to Paula, who's enjoying a well-deserved day off. We are going to return our attention this week to Alberta's legislature. Although Fort McMurray is still evacuated, there was not a lot of change on the fire front. It was it was a weird week of status quo for evacuees as they prepare to return next week if the plan to bring down the barricades continues. We'll find out more next week about, I think, Fort McMurray if people get back in. But this week, we'll focus on some policy, which we've had to kind of tuck to the side. We want to talk about the Climate Leadership Implementation Plan. The bill was introduced this week, a special out-of-province visit from a special guest. And uh, if we have time, we can maybe just look at a couple of other things, including the fact that the Alberta Party has a convention coming up this weekend or an event here in Edmonton. Graham, Keith, you were there. There's been so much talk about Alberta's new carbon tax. We finally got some details this week. Can you set the stage and tell us what happened? Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, they brought out a news conference on the roof of the uh, government building downtown. So, so the federal building? The, fe- the federal building Is this downtown. the first time it has been used yeah. since the debacles? This is the Sky Palace. And of course, it's a little bit, it's like a garden, basically. Like literally, there's, there's plants growing up there in a sort of garden with wildflowers. And they actually held the news conference there. Um, and it's, it's a very dramatic backdrop because you're actually overlooking the legislature. So there you had Shannon Phillips. She wasn't alone, though. Um, she had 20... 20 other people with her. These were stakeholders from people including the um, head of the um, Alberta Teachers Association. She had a doctor there. She had uh, union representatives, Pembina, um, 20 people um, to show support for the government's new um, climate leadership implementation plan. And you're right, this is really all about the carbon tax. This is the government saying, you know, they've been promising us this for some time, or some people might think threatening us with this for some time. And they introduced the actual act and it's a very controversial act, obviously. You know, it's taxation, and which is why I think they had to feel a need to bring out 20 people. I think half a dozen of them actually spoke to the microphone about why this is important, um, the carbon tax to reduce emissions. And this is all part of the government's biggest, I think, policy agenda is climate change and how does this government change the narrative on climate change and the environmental record of this province. It's really a key piece of legislation for the the government, but they know what's happening here. They're talking about the emissions, reducing emissions, protecting the environment, and giving us a a social license to get a pipeline built. The opposition is all about the carbon tax, the cost to Albertans. It's going to cost you more money. And it's all kind of, this this debate's not really about the environment, really, when it comes to the wild rose. It's all about the carbon tax, So, which, which is why I think the government knows it's on the defensive in a lot of ways, which is why it had to bring out 20 people to try and give a show of support to this contentious piece of legislation. I'm not saying the government shouldn't be doing anything. They should be doing something. 
but the problem is they're kind of caught in this narrative that's being run by the opposition. This is about taxes, not about the environment. Mm. Yeah, that was a weird press conference, though. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it was an odd space. Certainly, you're right, it had a dramatic backdrop. But then all the reporters were kind of squeezed onto this narrow strip of concrete on the roof there, right? Uh, We're all sort of fanned out in a line. And then Shannon Phillips and her, her parade had to kind of squeeze by us, run around the corner and get onto their own little narrow strip of concrete. Mm-hmm. And then we're separated reporters and people at the microphone by this kind of grass roof. We're like 30 th- feet away from them, kind of having to yell our questions across. Mm. And then you're right. Why is the ATA getting podium time at a, at a conference or a, a press conference on on climate change, right? There was another union guy with a very long title, uh, and he got some podium time too. I just thought it was very strange, and I understand they were trying to build support, but that that seemed like an, an odd way to do it to me. And it reminded me of like, Shannon Phillips has a habit of doing this. When they announced the climate change report last November, they did it at the Science Center mm-hmm. on a Sunday, and they used it at the Science Center to try and say this is all about science. But again, it was a really awkward setting. Uh, they had these small rooms for the media to set up to, to read uh, the report. And then the actual news conference was in this really strange um, room for a news conference, that is. Um, and then they had the announcement as well in this really small room packed full of people. But again, on the stage, you had you know, oil sands companies and uh, Pembina and environmental um, organizations, a way to show that this climate change plan had the support of different groups on this. But again, my, my point is that Phillips seems to be a lot about the, the backdrop, mm-hmm. uh, a, a more dramatic introduction of a plan or a bill. And I agree um, with Keith that it was a strange setting. It was really awkward. If you don't like heights, like <laughs> I don't like heights, <laughs> 11 <laughs> floors up and you're kind of squished against the railing, it is not a very pleasant um, uh, news conference either. But also you had to we had a problem even asking questions because the microphone kept cutting out. You oh. really did have to yell questions right. at the, the minister. It was it was not really set up to do an exchange with the media. Mm. It was all about the optics. Right. Well, I mean, on a couple fronts, I just got to throw out there. I'm happy to see the federal building being used because after spending all that money, it would be a shame if it just kind of sat there unused or, you know, neglected, I guess. I also, as an someone who has to put photos on stories as in my editor capacity, I appreciate a good backdrop, right? I mean, if I have to do one more podium shot from inside the legislature, but you know, that's neither here nor there. I was just wondering, was anybody from industry actually there at this press conference to stand beside the minister? Yeah, one of the speakers was a vice president from Synovus. I think his name is Jim Campbell. Uh, Actually, I think a former president of the PC party, (laughs) strangely enough, but uh, he's now a a, uh, government relations guy with Synovus. He was there. And then the other thing um, we failed to mention is the government provided us a sheet of paper with 20 names on it uh, and 20 different quotes in uh, offering various levels of support as well. So that ha- was handed out with the media package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a couple of other industry names on that uh, that sheet as well, including uh, I think Syncrude was on there. Maybe it was Suncor. Suncor was on there as well. So right. And it, it, looking at the actual bill itself. Yes. Of course, um, besides the optics. Do you of, think we should? Yeah. Okay, let's go there. Should. Of course, the thing is, this is... Um, it's all about the carbon tax, and it's about um, was that plus Alberta's finally got a, an energy efficiency uh, program. Mm. But the big thing, of course, is the the carbon tax. This is a way starting in January 
where the government uh, will be introducing this tax on everything from you know gasoline for your car to diesel fuel to heating your home to natural gas. It's a way to do two things. By taxing things, people will start using less, they hope, in that case, reducing emissions. Also, the money collected will be $9 billion over five years. Uh, the majority of that will be then put back into the economy mm -hmm. uh, to create green, uh, green jobs, and they're hoping then to, to spur a green economy growth in Alberta. It's going to be, of course, years down the road. Uh, so that, that's the idea, um, is to reduce emissions. Of course, the problem with their plan, it doesn't reduce emissions. It, it, there's no real cut, that is. Uh, for the next 14 years, they will be uh, reducing the increase. In other words, we will still be increasing emissions in Alberta, just not by the same degree. Not as Sl quickly as we slowing have Slowing the growth. Of the slowing okay. the growth. Yeah. And okay. they won't actually, as they say, bend the curve <laughs> until 2030. Hmm. At that point, of course, they'll be phasing out coal by then as well. Yeah. So, um, so you have the critics saying, okay, fine, you're all about emission reductions. You're not actually reducing emissions by any real amount until 2030. And then even then, we don't know by how much. Right? Yeah, they they it, didn't have any numbers at that mm -hmm. point, how much we're actually going to cut emissions at that point. Uh, is there something to be said, though? Is, should they be given some credit, though, for being realistic? We've seen over the years all kinds of governments make all kinds of pledges on the environment file and on, on uh, green GHG reductions, and nothing has happened. So ought we just to say, oh, here's someone actually being realistic about and, it. You know, and that's a really good point. And that's actually the point the NDP is making uh, quietly oh, by the scenes. You're right, because you go after looking at the plans by the PC government. They, they had, it was all about carbon capture, basically. They had these great targets to reduce emissions by 200 million tons by 2050, and most of that was through carbon capture and sequestration. It's a complete boondoggle. They're just making, making up numbers to make it work. And you're right, the NDP is thinking, look, we just can't make magical numbers up here. We've got to be realistic about this. And what is realistic? And they went to Andrew Leach and did that report yeah. last year on, on how to redo it. And Leach is saying you can only do so much. You can't get too far ahead of the curve. It's going to hurt your economy. It's a really good point that they're going to be realistic about this. But what I'm saying is that you've got critics who want them to do more. Like mm -hmm. Greenpeace are saying, shut down the oil sands. And so you've got the environmental critics thinking Alberta has not done enough. So you've got them being criticized for not doing enough right. on one side. On the other, you have the wild rose saying they're bringing in a carbon tax, the wrong way to do these things. Yeah, so too radical. Hmm. Uh, yes, and a tax is not, is not the answer at this time in our economy. So they're being attacked on both sides. Normally, that's a, that's a pretty good place to be. It's a sweet middle spot. But as I said in my week, this week in my column, it's an easier bill to attack than defend mm. because they keep telling us the government's saying that 60% of Albertans will get uh, the money back and rebates that mm. they're paying on, on taxes. Of course, then you get the critics saying, well, all this is doing is uh, it's a, it's wealth, moving the wealth from the wealthy to the lower uh, in income people. And that's not fair. A lot of what I heard sounded like what we heard on budget day about this the bill. Was there anything new introduced in terms of the actual details of it? Because we knew that there was going to be this price on gasoline. We knew it yeah. was coming. Uh, so yeah. yeah, the only thing really new uh, to me anyway is they, for the first time, they kind of gave us a figure on the indirect costs. Uh, and so this is things like um, a grocery operation, for example, right? Uh, grocery uh, business will have to pay the carbon tax on for fueling their trucks and driving them around and for heating their stores and warehouses and so on. Uh, and so there's been a question about those costs, how, how much of those costs are they gonna pass on to consumers, right? We'll have to pay more for our food and our goods and services. And so the government says, 
they've looked at something like 473 commodities. They've done an internal economic analysis, and they believe that the average typical household will pay somewhere between $70 and $105 per year in these indirect costs. Oh, per year? Per year. Oh, so it's, it's not not, not that high, really. Mm. So that's, that's their analysis of it. They say that uh, a lot of these businesses won't be able to pass on all of these indirect costs to consumers because they won't stay competitive if they do that. So they'll, they'll only be able to pass on 50 to 75% of those indirect costs. Now, the Wild Rose thinks that these figures are uh, wildly undersold. They, they believe that, in fact, it's going to be closer to $1,000 a year that, uh, that families are going to have to pay. Uh, and they, they base their numbers on uh, something. Uh, there's another Canadian tax report, I think it's called, uh, and, and basing some numbers on Stats Canada. So that's how they've calculated it. I don't think we actually know. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, once this tax comes in, what people are actually going to pay. The other thing to, to you know to consider is that you know a lot of these companies uh, are now going to have incentives, as Graham says, to reduce their carbon and try to reduce their costs. And so there's a question of you know um, has that been factored into the calculations as well? If they're paying less, will they also then transfer less to to the public? I was beginning to think after getting my property tax bill last night from the city of Edmonton that the bigger hit to my family's pocket may come from our property taxes than the carbon tax. <laughs> it's certainly but possible. I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see there. The whole idea of well, part of this is one to be good environmental stewards, but the second part, as you mentioned, Graham, is about the social license. Mm. So. How's that playing across the country? I uh, was kind of surprised this week to hear that Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne was in town and visiting <laughs> with Rachel Notley. What was that about? Yeah, well, you're right. I, I mean, the, for all along, when, once the NDP has introduced this climate leadership plan, the script has been, we need to show the rest of the world that we're serious about climate change, and then we can earn the quote-unquote social license to expand our markets for oil, right? And as part of that script... Uh, you know, enter Kathleen Wynne, Premier of Ontario, a province that we do need to convince uh, to get like the Energy East pipeline built, right? And, and Kathleen Wynne has been a little bit resistant to that. She, she and uh, the Quebec Premier have set up uh, seven principles that have to be met before they would agree to, to lend their support to that. Even though they don't ultimately decide it's the National Energy Board and the federal government, um, their influence is certainly important. So Kathleen Wynne uh, yesterday comes to the legislature and in the morning, the, the script goes as planned. Uh, Kathleen Wynne comes out and says, yes, you know, uh, we applaud Alberta's efforts on climate change. This makes the conversation around pipelines a lot easier. Uh, she thanks uh, Rachel Notley for showing a lot of leadership in the Canadian energy strategy and kind of advancing those sort of interests. Stop short of actually saying she supports Energy East, of course. Uh, she doesn't answer that question directly, uh, but says, you know, she she thinks that the conversation is now easier because of what Alberta is doing, right? Mm. And this plays exactly more or less uh, into what... Uh, what Rachel Notley has been saying about uh, how we need to improve our reputation. Right, so it's not a full stamp of approval, but also not uh, nasty comments about it. Right, because we've heard a similar kind of thing from Wynn in the past about Alberta. And, there's, and the thing about this carbon tax and things the Alberta government is doing, um, the carbon tax is very real. We can see it, we can measure it. The reward for us paying the carbon tax is a bit more ethereal. You know, mm -hmm. it will, we hope, raise money to green the environment and create environmentally friendly um, industries and jobs. Mm -hmm. But that's still a question mark. 
And this idea of social license, you know, we will improve the environmental reputation of Alberta, absolutely. But the reward we're hoping from the Alberta government is that we'll get more pipelines built. And there's a built-in oxymoron, of course, there's yeah. a conflict here, is that we're trying to improve our emission um, reductions so we get a social license to get more pipelines built, to ship more oil to market, to, to burn, to increase <laughs> emissions. Yes. Of course, and uh, the environmentalists have noticed that as well. Yes. So other provinces are thinking, why do you have to export more oil? Um, you know, people in other, uh, BC, for example, and other parts of the country are thinking, do you really have to export more oil? Isn't that kind of counterproductive to what you're doing on the environment? So there's built-in um, catch-22, in, in a sense, in our environmental goals. But ultimately, the government's rewards are still a question mark. It's, it's a laudable goal to reduce emissions, to help the, the climate, but will it actually mean something for our economy? We don't know that yet. Hmm. Is that the only reason Kathleen Wynne was in town, was to come talk to Rachel Notley, or was there another reason for her trip? You know, it's a good question. Uh, certainly energy pipelines... Um, I, were, I think, the main agenda. They have that agreement. They have an agreement now yes. to, you know, to share sort of best practices on, mm. on, on efficiency. They've got a, a memorandum of, of understanding, an MOU, as they call them, to work together on uh, re- reducing emissions and becoming more efficient. Uh, it's a bit nebulous. These things normally are. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it was interesting, the timing that she would come after the government announces Bill 20 this week, and then up mm-hmm. comes um, uh, the uh, sort of the the um, premier of Ontario to, to to thank Alberta for doing more on the environment. So I think there's a bit of PR involved here. Plus, they are trying to work together on the environment, and they are trying to. It's interesting. You mentioned the reaction from other provinces. You do you find the federal government likes what they're doing, what we're doing in Alberta. Other provinces, BC, say good for Alberta for really taking the environment seriously. But there's still that question, do we actually get a reward for this? And mm-hmm. is there a reward another pipeline? And that's still a question mark. It does seem to make things easier. They're, they have opened up doors to the federal government, to Ontario, to B.C. In, in some ways to actually maybe get that pipeline approved. But, of course, as Keith mentioned, it's a federal government decision. But the provinces, in the last decade, it used to be NEB would say is a deal, go ahead and do it, and they'd build it. Uh, the provinces are getting involved now, and you even got civic leaders, mayors, Montreal, yeah. who are Bernie, saying yeah. that the, exactly who are saying that, that we will try and stop this. And the thing is, they can't legally stop it, but in a very practical level, they can make things really difficult for mm. pipelines to get constructed. Right. You know, I realized when we were talking about Bill Twenty, I forgot to ask about this Wild Rose press release that caught my attention on this bill, saying that this bill would do all kinds of things to private landowners what is is there anything to that i didn't quite understand where it was coming from it seems to be reading something into the bill is there any is that grounded in any reality it's really hard to say uh i mean the wild rose certainly picked out a a section in in bill 20 which is a very large bill and there is some language in there about how an officer can go onto a property without a warrant and and search uh, presumably to check that they are having the right kind of gas that it's not marked gas that they shouldn't have and uh, can look at your computer and, and, and see if you have any records apparently on there that might prove you were uh, using the wrong gas. That uh, purple gas, right? right? Only certain only pe- certain people are allowed to use that subsidized gasoline? Right. That's right. Farmers in, in the act of doing their agricultural operations, for example. Um, and then 
uh, they can stop vehicles as well uh, and take a sample of your gas tank and, and uh, see whether you have the right the right gas in there as well. So the, the Wild Rose says this is, you know, this is a um, unprecedented uh, infringement on property rights and, and, and privacy rights. The government says, no, this is just wording we took out of old legislation and, and put in the new one. And there's mm. there's really nothing new to it. It's hard to know. I, I haven't looked through all of the other bills to see if this is actually new or not. Right, but, but if it has been well, the thing is, yeah, this is this the issue here, as Keith mentioned, is the, the farm fuel, purple gas, because they actually color the gasoline used by farmers purple. Yeah, because farm fuel is cheaper than regular fuel. The rest of us use, and even like decades ago, um, there was fear people would, would start cheating by buying farm fuel and then selling it for a profit to non-farmers, which is why they color it purple. Mm. And there were there were um, uh, regulations in place to stop that from happening, giving the police power to make sure that this is not happening. And all, what the NDP has done is transferred that kind of wording into their new bill. Um, also, it adds uh, one new thing, and that is to do with uh, your records, your, your computer records. They right. can go look at that. But the police cannot go into your home without a warrant. They can go into right. your place of business, you know, the, your, your farm field, and you know, check your tractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the NTP points out, this is basically the same wording that they have um, in Saskatchewan. Oh, uh, okay. That uh, Brad Wall, you know, the, the conservative hero to a lot of uh, wild rosers, um, they have similar le- legislation. And what it is, it's a way to make sure that people are not cheating on taxes. Mm. And this has been something the PCs had, and they've sort of upgraded it now to the 21st century. Okay. So I think that the Wild Rose was, to me, overplaying this, mm. uh, making it an issue of property rights and privacy, when in fact uh, it's a kind of law the PCs had in place and it's been upgraded in other provinces that have very similar laws. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. It was just something I was wondering about and it occurred to me that I had forgot to ask about it. How are things at the legislature now? After May 3rd, it seemed like everything, the focus was on the fire and the response to the Fort McMurray wildfire. Does it seem to be settling down and getting back to business or is it, or is the government still very much largely focused on the wildfire response? Uh, I, I think it's shifted a little bit this week. The the uh, climate leadership plan uh, and the climate leadership bill was certainly a, a major focus of them. They've been waiting to, uh, to get that out. But then... <laughs> Things were relatively calm at the legislature, proceeding as normal this week until Kathleen Wynne's visit yesterday. So, uh, as I said, the script went pretty much as expected in the morning uh, with Notley and Wynne having a press conference. But then Wynne gets introduced in in the legislature chamber and things kind of go screwy from there. Oh, no. Yeah. So... She has to sit through this very over-the-top tribute uh, to Stephen Harper, delivered by the Wild Rose. Uh, it was, it was quite something. I, I'd encourage people to read Hansard on that one. It was, it was, it was stirring. It, uh, I heard people uh, a bonus to it. good stuff from the gallery. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. There you go. And then Derek Fildebrand, the the Wild Rose finance critic, who can be a little blustery at times, he decides to pick that moment to launch into this attack on Kathleen Wynne and her government, uh, calling them debt-ridden and uh, um, overspending and uh, uh, the authors of this terrible climate change plan in Ontario. 
And she's sitting right and there. She, but and can't respond. She can't respond. She's sitting up there right in the gallery listening to this. <laughs> and the NDP goes crazy. They, you know, Brian Mason is saying to Phil DeBrent, you're so tacky. And talk about embarrassing cousins. And Notley calls them dinosaurs and says this is a perfect example of why they'll never govern because they show no civility or respect to honored guests. And, and so it, it got really nasty there for a while. And it did seem over the top. You know, just, I mean, from Phil DeBrent's point of view, I think they were saying, the was saying, we didn't know would have win in the uh, in the, the chambers but, but the thing but is couldn't they see her exactly well no they, they knew she was there in fact notley introduced win right so the wild rose knew she was there and then when they began question period there was a few questions then hildebrand stands up and starts to you know uh, attack the record of the liberals in ontario and you're thinking you know couldn't you have maybe toned that down a little bit or, or done something on the fly think on your feet but no it really did come across as they were there deliberately they're trying to embarrass Wynn and embarrass Notley in front of the legislature. It was a pretty tacky performance, I thought. Oh. Uh, and, and Phil DeBrand has a history of going over the top and mm-hmm. criticizing. He's got very thin skin, criticizing people. He criticized the, the Globe and Mail last year over an article. And when we were asking him questions last fall about the new provincial budget in, in the, uh, the, in the uh, rotunda of the legislature, he refused to take questions from the Globe and Mail. You get in a huff, you know. He, he's got, and he's he's the guy who's been tweeting sometimes um, negative comments, to put it mildly, about the speaker. Um, he's been told that to ratchet things down. And yesterday he was in full full bloom. Yesterday attacking mm. um, the uh, the Liberal uh, Premier from uh, Ontario. The thing is, I would love to have known what she thought about that. She's probably like, "Oh, great! I'm not even in my own legislature. Well, and I'm yeah. still getting attacked." I, and I imagine she's used to this. Uh, yeah. if, if one yes. thing that you listen, you can criticize Ontario all you want. That's fine. But it was there was that tacky feel to mm. it yesterday, crass politics. But also going back to your question about Fort McMurray, it has been supplanted in many ways. Is a big issue. It has gone back now to the the government's agenda. That's in part because you know, the fire has died down. People are going back. But also it's because we do have a timeline for, for people going back, and the Wild Rose has signed on to that timeline. You know, f- so for days after the fire, it was a question, when will they go back? What's mm-hmm. happening? And when the premier had her news conference last week, she had Brian Jean there talking yes. about you know, the dates going back, June the 1st. And, and so that phased-in date was okay by the Wild Rose. All of a sudden, they stopped asking questions about Fort McMurray, on, on, at least on that level. So I think that the NDP managed to um, defang that issue, and now they're all sort of focused on other issues like Bill mm-hmm. 20. Well, and the other thing is, there's been a lot of bills this session, yeah. right? We're up to yeah. 22 now. I think there might even be a couple more next week on the, the Municipal Government Act and maybe something on physician-assisted death. And um, Wild Rose has actually, strangely enough, supported most of them, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. A, yeah. Hmm. A, a lot of the bills, they got along with them. Right. Um, so they're picking it, their battles. Yeah. Yes, they're picking their yeah. battles. Hmm. And um, we're expecting the session was to be wrapped up according to the agenda, the calendar, on the 2nd of June. We're now thinking it'll go another week, maybe. Possibly, yeah. We, we don't really know. Uh, it will go longer, I think, than it is on the um, the calendar. Okay. And Keith, your weekend plans also include politics, I understand. Well, Where I'm not sure. Be? I'm not sure they're my plans or <laughs> someone else's plans in the newsroom. But uh, yeah, the Alberta Party, which often gets forgotten because they have only one member uh, from Calgary, Greg Clark, uh, they are going to have a convention uh, in Sherwood Park this weekend, Saturday. Uh, it's more or less a policy convention, talking about what they want to. Um, 
where they want to, uh, I guess, position their agenda going forward and try to get some more attention. Uh, they are obviously facing some big questions about, uh, you know, how do they build support? Uh, do they look to try to amalgamate at some point, maybe with some elements of the PCs, something maybe with the Liberals, although the Liberals at their policy convention seem to dismiss that idea. So they, they've got some bigger questions to face. I don't know how many of those questions are going to get addressed at this particular convention, but uh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Well, quick round of good stuff from the gallery. That's where we share something notable that we think other people interested in politics might also be interested in. Graham, would you care to start us off? Yeah, I don't have any particular article. It's a show I really enjoy. It's called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Oh. Yeah, it's great. It's on HBO. If you don't have HBO, don't worry. You can just Google it. It's on YouTube. Like YouTube has the use the high points uh, from the show, and it, it's a, it's a very funny show. It's like the the Daily Show, only it's once a week, and they go into some issues in great depth. It's really quite funny. They look at actually, for example, Donald Trump in building the wall. In, was a in, classic. In yeah. detail, the actual cost, how it's actually done. They'll actually do an investigation, a very funny investigation. It's, it's serious in a funny way. Mm -hmm. um, so I would suggest you go on YouTube, John Oliver, last week, tonight, and have a, a series of um, 10, 5, 10-minute ten um, exposés, very comically done, but in a very serious topics. And I think he's done a really brilliant job of talking about issues that are very open to the general public. Yeah, yeah it, it's great. He's tackled some really difficult ones yeah. too, and like uh, stadium building in the United States and the Winter Olympics and FIFA and all, various other kinds of scandals that are hard to get at, but uh, brilliantly done. Yeah, I know it's set on my PVR. I'm also going to recommend a uh, something to watch. I would like to recommend people go check out a frontline documentary that just aired this past week on the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. But it was all about three years after Hurricane Sandy walloped New York and New Jersey, the trouble that has come with rebuilding uh, after this flood destroyed so many homes. And it uh, made me think a lot about, you know, different circumstances, different kind of disaster, but made me think a lot about what's going on up north as well and what people might be in for moving forward. And Keith. Yeah, mine is just a really short read. It's a uh, an op-ed that you ran this week on Wednesday from our old colleague, uh, Trisha Odette Longo uh, and Brian Gorman. She'll be so happy you yeah. called her old. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> uh, former colleague. Sorry, Trish. Uh, and it's uh, it just has to do with... Um, uh, the importance of the media as, as seen through the reporting of the fire, Fort McMurray wildfire. It was a very good piece. I was happy to have it to run in the journal. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you to Graham and Keith for getting me up to speed on everything that happened at the legislature in what was yeah, a pretty busy week. And thank you to Greg Southam for filming our conversation so we can share segments online. I'd also just like to give a shout out to my son, Alexander, celebrating his 12th birthday today. Happy birthday, Alex. He listens to the podcast. He does, because I make him sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear previous episodes of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the Journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio, so subscribe and the Press Gallery will be there for you when we get it posted. And thank you to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.